All right. So this week we talked about uh, we're, we're looking at this article Pygmalion and the anime girl, I think is the title of it. Um, it's a very long and rambling journey, kind of uh, poetic, uh, offensive in its uh, not getting straight to the point to, to at least one of our crew, um, Eric, who's not here to uh, share his his critiques. Uh, but to me, um, it was uh, it just hit. It hit very powerfully and convinced me of uh, some things and uh, helped me see a part of the overall puzzle that I didn't uh, have completely filled in. Um, and maybe that's why I liked it is because it shares almost all of my priors. And so as I'm going through, it might seem rambling if you don't share a lot of those priors, but to me, uh, I shared those priors already. And then there were a couple things overlaid on the top of it um, that just provided more detail. And I'll just be real specific about that before handing it on. What I really like the most is talking about what's going on as a cascade failure. And that if you really want to understand it, like there's kind of a mathematical relationship to what's going on. And you know, I'd kind of had, you know, been beyond reason, but not beyond hope for, uh, you know, for the system, you know, for political solutions. And I still feel like there's, there's political work to be done in order to stave off the worst possible outcomes. But I'm no longer convinced that some sort of complete collapse and, and, restructuring can be avoided at some level just because of uh, the central thesis, which was to me that, you know, what happened that made America and, you know, all of the West really successful was this, you know, deracinated individualism where people were able to score well on placement tests and get placed in this plug and play vast interconnected global economy uh, where they'd move from uh, communities from here to there being separated from um, all of the nurturing fundamental social technology that led that person to being a competent and capable individual in the first place. Uh, in this kind of army of uh, technocrats and highly competent individuals um, from the you know, dawn of the system and the uh, advancement of it in the post-World War II era produced this vast amount of wealth and uh, this incredibly complex society that in order to be maintained, requires that high degree of competence. And we've talked in previous episodes about the competence crisis and what we're facing with that. And some of it's attributed to, um, you know, the push for diversity over merit. Um, but what this woke me up to is maybe the collapse of competency has something more to do with deteriorating social technology 
namely families, you know, tightly interconnected families and communities that are able to produce the kind of individuals that have the competence to run this stuff. And now uh, it's kind of, we're in a situation where we have this moth eaten core uh, that can't reproduce the quantity of competent individuals necessary to keep this complex system going. Um, and not only that, but the solution, which is, you know, marriage, family, community, uh, you know, billionaire psycho went and looked at everything across the board in order to really can persuasively argue that we, we can't get back there with the way things are, you know, with uh, dating technology and everything's Tinder uh, because of diversity, equity, inclusion, and um, litigation over sexual harassment, uh, et cetera, in the workplace, people can't uh, approach people to meet people in person. Um, and that's become socially weird and awkward. So people can't just can't do it. So how are people going to form families in this environment? And, uh, you know, the idea that marriage has become this luxury good that most people just simply can't afford. And then even then raising children, um, you know, you're, you're dependent on the state and public school, which has been captured by Marxists. Uh, so, you know, how are you going to have, how are you going to have a family, you know, for people in my generation, you know, in their mid thirties, uh, we remember how we uh, met our spouses and reflexively assumed that other people could do just do the same that we did, just like boomers maybe assumed, oh, well, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and work hard like we did. You millennials are lazy and that's the problem. It's like, no, the, the world's changed. Um, the cost of living relative to income has exploded. And those jobs that boomers had because we had an industrialized economy in America specifically, those jobs are all gone. Um, so, you know, we, we can't flip a switch and, and do the things that are necessary to reestablish that foundation. And since we can't do that and it's off the table, you know, there's really no way to keep the, the current system going as it is. Um, without, you know, some, some form of long, painful, protracted collapse and mm -hmm. uh, restructuring. Yeah, um, maybe I, because I, I like what you said, and Grannon, I think it's, uh, you gave a little, uh, a bit of a, like the, a perspective from, from more like a, on a societal level, right? And similarly to what he does in the article. Um, but I also think, or I read the article um more as a as a kind of individual outcry sort of thing and and i found it really interesting just to get the perspective of a like pre presumably young man right uh uh and what what he's faced and what they are faced in uh, in today's society right because for me too i'm in my uh, in my 40s and i'm a different generation um and it's not always easy to to really um, grasp what these guys are up to, right? Because it's just a, such a changed world. And and I, he begins the article, um, you know, kind of like making fun of the mainstream conservative message, basically, or not making fun, you know, just pointing out that 
it, it doesn't work right uh uh you know so if basically these these people tell you okay get married you know like be virtuous and, and blah 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 and be a good conservative and that's the solution but it's a it's a, a solution that worked in the past right it's it's just not that world anymore and it's just not so easy anymore on, on so many levels and uh uh and i kind of uh, feel for those young guys right i mean they 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 kind of my impression is they they kind of seek guidance right in this this whole morass and uh, and there's just many conflicting messages and that's what i kind of read in that article too right i mean um there's the guys basically say be a good conservative right and then there are like guys saying okay you got to hustle hard you know be an entrepreneur get rich you know that sort of thing or then there's this school like forget about all morals you know become a Nietzschean ubermensch and just you know uh uh, screw everything, you know, and and be like the the wild guy, you know, and 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 there's all these these things, right? And um, and it it's what I liked about this article is that it it didn't like it it just listed it listed many of those things, right? Those solutions that are on offer, um, you know, like the the sort of guidance that is available, and also listed all the problems, um, especially young men face in in this society and. And it is a sort of a rambling, meandering article, but I actually did like that he didn't come up with a solution, you know, like, or he didn't say, okay, um, that's how young men should should be or should counter the problem. Um, I think he's he's just too. My impression was he's he was he's too wise, you know, to for that sort of thing, and that's that's kind of impressive, I think, because with life experience, actually, you do kind of learn that these thing, things are not so easy to define and there's not like no way of life that you can prescribe you know that to others you know because everybody um has to find his own way to a degree and uh, and it's it's refreshing you know to to see uh, someone reflecting very deeply about the problems uh, describing for us you know like what what these actually are you know <laughs> uh, in this crazy technology like driven like absolutely bonkers world that these young people you know just uh, live in now uh while also um yeah um reflecting a little deeper um about what what might be done what might not be done and at the end you you think uh yeah w this article it's it kind of brings you a step further um but uh is there a solution is there something that we can can prescribe uh, I don't think so. I'm not sure, you know, like the the hustle hard mindset, you know, will will get you very far or the become a Nietzsche and Übermensch, you know, or the become like a good Christian and just, um, you know, go back to the 1950s kind of thing. Uh, so, yeah, in that sense, even, you know, sometimes it's not so much about what do I agree with, what do I not agree with, right? It's just to get a glimpse um of what these people are up to and uh, and just make you think about it right so so that's why i liked it the thing was good for uh you know we were discussing before we started recording you know it's like the the journey it went on and uh john carter's not on this conversation it, it likened it to a poem which i thought you know was good because it reading it the process of reading it was enjoyable to me um so it does kind of go it's not a concise essay that just hits the bullet points, you know, um, but some of that would be hard to do in an essay format 
that where he tried to just be concise and hit the bullet points because there's all these threads. It's kind of like you're describing what's wrong with like a theory of everything and why everything's gone to or seems to be going to shit, you know, and trying to tie that together in a neat and concise way. And uh, a lot of this stuff, uh, I mean, it's hard to see on a macro level, you know, because there, there's so many components to it. Uh, but on an individual level, you know, which is, I guess, kind of the way he seems to approach it is, uh, you know, through the eyes of like a young man today, uh, you know, like thinking about this as a parent, some, you know, tail end of Generation X. So I'm not going through this stuff myself so much, but thinking, you know, I got a son who's 11, like, uh, how do I advise him about these life issues and you know, preparing for things because, you know, the, the days you hear the stories from the world war two generation of, you know, people that met, you know, and, and a whirlwind romance and then they got married and then they had their, you know, this long marriage until they died of old age and their kids grew up and, you know, they got to see their kids doing well, their grandkids doing well and all that. And it's like, and it didn't seem like it, like it was such an uphill battle in the sense of not to say they didn't sacrifice or work hard but just that in terms of figuring it out what to do is kind of like they had a a working culture where if you do the things that you've kind of been taught or trained to do good results follow from that and that um is really broken for today i mean you know and he uh i guess in the article talks about the culture or politics being downstream from culture and culture being downstream from technology. And uh, I mean, that's an important part of it, you know, because uh, there's this book from uh, this 1970, you know, called future shock, which just the, the basic idea of it, he likens people, you know, uh, over the course of your life, the cultural, technological, social changes that take place to being like, a traveler, you know, going to a foreign country that's completely different, you know, so it's like, if you're, you know, like the world of 1980, for example, is so different than the world today, it's almost like an alien culture in a way. So anyway, um, and now I'm trying to get back to where I was, was going with this is, uh, you know, trying to prepare kids for what the world is even going to be like, nobody knows, nobody knows, like 10 years from now is this agenda 2030 of the wef going to come to pass are we going to be living in pods or you know what i mean like there's you just look at the way things are and you're like okay this can't go on indefinitely you know i don't know what the timeline is but at some point it's like this is just not sustainable and you know if you're a young man today you live in a culture where even the most basic aspects of our human nature are problematic to address or fulfill and the information and analysis you're given about this is what things mean this is what things are this is how you be a good human uh is so fucked you know the, there's no better way to put it it's like it's just a, not just wrong but just completely opposite wrong you know of of what a good healthy culture would look like to cultivate virtues and strengths and things like that that would enable a person to you know have a good marriage have a good you know family raising children have a good uh feel like a good productive in a meaningful way part of the world around them 
you know, it's like, what are you encouraged to do? You know, go to school, take on all this debt, get a bullshit degree, you know, work in a cubicle, like, you know, get married where, you know, that's even a problem. Like the article addresses how you meet, how, do, and then when marriage is not held up as an ideal, when it's like, you know, you're supposed to be liberated from all bonds, not consciously chosen. And it's like, you know, so you get married, but then you realize five years down the road, oh, I've grown, we've grown apart. You know, this I'm, I'm different now than I was when I got married. So I'm no longer obligated by these bonds, you know, so divorce is encouraged. Anyway, I'm turning it over to somebody else, but it's just like, I like that part, the way the article approaches us through the eyes of a, a young man, like what it, you're getting this conflicting information from the culture. You're getting lectures from people that claim to have it figured out and are maybe judging you harshly without taking into account the reality that you're facing, the the changes in the world, and the fact that it's not that it is an uphill battle. That you're you're assembling a workable understanding of the world and you know perspective and lifestyle on the fly, so to speak, in response to a dynamic you know, rapidly changing situation culturally and economically, you know, and it's, a, it's an uphill thing, but then on the left, it's like, what's the, what's the solutions, you know, become a, you know, cut your dick off and become a woman and wear lipstick. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, it's not like that. Nobody's really, or a few people are offering a real solution. And so I guess that's a, the project that you we're know, talking about what the answer is, you know, um, providing that is, uh, is going to be the challenge anyway. I've rambled long enough, so I'll turn it over to whoever it's got. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, first of all, I mean, like, I think I think since Eric's not here, I'm going to try my best to um, play a bit of his devil's advocate, because I know there were some people that, you know, when they when they, I guess, contended with this article, because it is very long, obviously, it's sprawling, I guess you could say. Um, and I think that because of that and because of it's it's essentially you know our, um luke like wrote uh, uh the article a couple of days back uh, absolute progressivism and i think to some degree this octopus of absolute progressivism is something that he's trying to attend to all at once uh in this article which is a very difficult thing to do but on the other hand i also don't think it could be properly described as an article and I don't think that poem, even though that's closer, uh, poetry, I don't think describes it very well either. Uh, if you, It's hard in this format to describe. You have to actually see the article, but the article is filled with imagery. This is more properly a collage of some sort. It's not just words. If it was just words, it would fall completely flat. And if, and if people, and I think that people that are not necessarily visually um uh oriented or acclimatized like i think that people that are more used to direct data let's say um a sort of a left hemisphered apprehension of reality as a as a kind of an abstraction from which you could then summarize a list of points uh, i think this article won't work very well for most of those people um that have those those tendencies because the visual components of this article are telling the entire story to some degree of this threat that is partially sexual, partially virtual. Um, uh, it's this, you know, again, it is this, we're tangoing with a, a um, this sprawling abstract threat, this being 
that has so many different arms and so many different tentacles. And so it's sort of like uh, uh, when he talks about, you know, the de-industrialized world, or I, I think we could even say post-industrialized uh, industrialized world to some degree, a virtual world. Um, it doesn't really have bite unless you see the images. Like there are a succession, he, he calls it Pygmalion and the anime girl. And the, the, the article begins with lots of pictures of this anime girl, this cartoon. Um, and they are, you know, repetitive to the point where, you know, the, the grotesqueness sort of falls away at a certain point, but then comes back. Uh, these girls that he selected are, you know, they have these gargantuan breasts, essentially, these grotesque, they're almost tumors. You know, it's like it's not if you saw that, if that person was to step out of that image, that would be a grotesque monster in many ways. And I know that. You know, people in our transhuman um, economy, essentially, since the 80s or before, like any, ever since sort of like body modification and um, uh, cosmetic surgery came into vogue, sometimes you would see people, women that would actually try to reproduce this absurd effect, you know. And when you think about it, it's not, this might be controversial, but, you know, the shape of a woman is to some degree breeder down bottom and feed her up top. And almost all of these images or all of these images are really concentrated on the feeding portion of it. The mother, in other words. And I think that's why Billionaire Seiko associates this with a, a some, some sort of grand um, quest for uh, purity or innocence. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily, I think that's partially it. But then when you see this, 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 hyper focus on the kinds of uh, pornography that uh, I guess he's calling them incels or whatever. He, I, I, he's talking about essentially a generation of young men who have been excised from romance that have been like, you know, defeated in a multitude of ways by the transforming of the economy through technology and all, and including social technologies. And so like now we have a situation where there are a bunch of young men who uh, don't know how to romance don't experience romance um, uh, and young women who have been sort of misled into thinking that happiness can be found outside of um, romantic love. And so like, so in, in, in confronting this with images, which, and, and those aren't the only images. I mean, he goes deep, he goes deep into, you know, he's got pretty women in here. He's got, he's got uh, 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 various formulations uh, or, 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 or inverted versions of various Greek myths. I mean, I know that um, he talked about um, Pygmalion itself as being like the, that, that, you know, we went from, we journeyed from that, the, the man trying to sculpt the perfect image of a woman to the core, um, you know, uh, the opposite of Pygmalion, uh, the, the living statue of purity. Then we have the whore who is now um, sculpting the man to purpose. And so he's, it's it's strange. It's sprawling because he's trying to assail all of this at once. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. What's interesting, though, is that, to me at least, is that I think another big frustration with this, in addition to being sprawling and this multimedia form that isn't any one thing, is that the question, and we spoke about this briefly before we started recording, the, the question for a lot of us has become, okay, so what do we do? You know, what is to be done? Right. We know that this is the reality that we inhabit. We know that, as he put it at one point, that it is 
um, a, a, is, is dishonorable. It is it, it worships ugliness over beauty. It he goes down through a litany of a, a list of things that it is. Uh, you know, it punishes competence. It punishes honor and dignity. It punishes truth. And it's like, okay, we know. You know, I think a lot of people are like tackle something like this, and they say, we get it. We know this already. Now what? And what's interesting is he does provide an answer towards the end. And I wanted to open this up to the group to talk about, because I think the answer is something along the lines of the answer that we're trying um, or the puzzle that we're trying to solve right now, even as the Tonic 7 or even at Deimos or even at Substack. And I think his, his ultimately he wraps it all up in the word brotherhood, right? And with these images of brotherhood, but the images of brotherhood that he selects, I don't know if you recall, or if you have the article up, there are unusual images of brotherhood. This is not Tolkien's fellowship. These are um, essentially masked predators in the woods. Do you do you know the series that I'm talking about? Like there are very, these these images of these you know of these um, essentially ninja warriors in the dark. Um, you know, and that is the type of brotherhood that he's talking about, sort of shadows in the night, um, people who can exist at some straight up and, and persist and, and plan and live well and be ready for what comes next seems to be a solution. And that solution is tied up in this concept of brotherhood and trust. Um, and, and, but like the kind of brotherhood and trust that is undercover, that's, you know, a midnight brotherhood, almost like not something that beats his chest and and holds a parade or 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 a political rally, but rather you know again like something that is deep and to some degree invisible to this to this world to this this world of absolute progressivism and all of its casualties and victims. So yeah, honor and brotherhood seems to be the solution, and it's not a, it's not as exacting a solution as some people would want. I think some people want a plan; they, they they see that as another form of reaction. I don't think it is a reaction. I think that what he's saying is we need to move past mere reaction. Not that we can't react, but that to react in the in in the way that um, people currently are doing so where they're opposing with like strong strongly worded letters and whatnot he's like well that's kind of useless like what we need to do is we need to find each other in the darkness and bond together and prepare ourselves for this this entire you know shit show to come this house of cards to implode uh any thoughts yeah, I mean, I, I think that is like exactly what we're trying to do, right? Which is, I, I think is maybe why this spoke to me so much. Um, you know, as he was going through a lot of the things that he was saying to do, it's like, yeah, I mean, that's that's what I'm working on, you know? And, um, you know, regarding the brotherhood thing, uh, I want to just point out what he said at the end for what you can do as an individual is like, Hey, are you of a character and of a, a degree of competence that people are going to seek you out and want you to be a part of their group? And if not get started, you know, make yourself into that person because you're going to need other people. Uh, you're not going to be able to do this alone. This, this, whole 
idea of uh, deracinated individualism, like we're, you know, and I, I say this as like a longtime libertarian, we ain't going to survive like that. The people that have decided like, hey, I'm going to move out in into the desert and I'll have my plot of land and a bunch of signs that say trespassers will be shot. Um, those people are all vulnerable. You know, we need communities, but they need to be like, you, you can't just move to a town now and start a community. So it's like, how do you do it? And I think he's giving a roadmap for how you do it organically, given the complexity of the situation. So, you know, you can't prescribe, like Luke said, you know, trying to prescribe the particulars is folly. You're never going to be able to do that. It's never going to resonate and be accurate because things are just too complex. But what will always be helpful is making yourself strong, of high character, trustworthy, uh, and honing your discernment in order to identify other people that are like that. And uh, to be honest with you guys, I feel like that's what we've done here. That's how I feel about all of you. And, um, you know, I feel honored to be a part of this group. And I have a high degree of trust with this group. Uh, then again, I'm very good at uh, trusting people and, and making, um, you know, a deliberate decision to put trust into people, understanding that there's risk, there's always risk, but um, I think it's asymmetric risk. Uh, I think there's a saying, I don't know who said it, but it's better to, um, you know, trust a friend and be betrayed than uh, not trust a, a true uh, ally and friend. Um, and I, I live by that. And I think that's a part of this. He didn't specifically say that in this, uh, in this piece, but he did say the thing about making yourself into that person of character. And then also about how, you know, the George R.R. R. Martin type of backstabbing, duplicitous shit weasel that uh, runs Globohoma at the highest level. Um, you know, a group of individuals bound together by high levels of trust can cut through a bloated, rotted, uh, you know, conglomeration of these individuals who really they're individuals that keep each other in check by blackmail um, other means that aren't stable. They don't have the stability that uh, true brotherhood and, and trust has, and they won't be able to compete. So those are my thoughts. And they're, and they're, and they're, and I think also he was arguing that they're fundamentally unsexy. And like, this is where it gets weird because towards the end, he's also talking about the type of, you know, I agree with you about, about trust, but like a, to some degree, our trust is public and in the, the daylight, you could say. But I think like he was going a stage deeper and saying like, no, you need to have the trust of Batman or a legion of Batman. You need to be those sexy outsiders. You need to be those. I think he said uh, small. Here, I, I got a quote here. It says small numbers of stubborn. Oh, hold on. Small numbers of stubborn, focused, disciplined autodidacts become massively impactful when aggregated millions of ordinary men 
choose to sleep through a simulated pantomime of authentic life. So those are those potbelly goblins and their thralls in the virtual world, the NPCs, the addicts, the the people that are caught outside of temporality because they're they're just reacting to um, all of the bells and whistles of technology. Um, and then he says, brother brotherhoods will form pulled by a gravitational magnetism. Women will be fascinated and enticed by such brotherhoods, confident, suave, muscular warriors contrasting against the broader population of effeminate, obese, submissive, over-socialized cattle. So I think like he does kind of round the edge there. He, he completes the circle there at the end because he begins by talking about the basic unsexiness of the world, right? And that's because, you know, you don't have men of danger. You have, you have, you have, you know, guys with man boobs, like Bill Gates, like contriving, you know, new diseases so that they could sell people cures. Like these are, you know, th this is not, these, these are not swaggering captains of industry, even, even in themselves. I mean, like, I think that, you know, when you, when you, when you try to conceive of like what even these people's sexuality is, it's like, well, you're talking about prostitutes and apparently child abuse in large numbers. Um, these are not, what typically a woman would, I don't think, find attractive. And so to some degree, he's talking about, you know, he's talking about outlaw rebels. He's talking about bad boys. And he's saying, in addition to our bonds of trust and brotherhood, we must become bad boys. And I think I kind of agree. You know, I think I kind of agree. Like when I see those images, it's sort of like as weird as they are towards the end, I get it. You know, I get it when he says uh, it's like it's like Sun Tzu when he says, um, let your plans be dark and impenetrable as night. And when you fall uh, or when you move, fall like a thunderbolt like that is what he's describing. He's saying we must become those type of outlaw rebel. Um, uh, I don't know if vigilante is the right word, but certainly an outsider, certainly someone who is um, completely seen as obscene by the current system. Uh, and I don't know what that means. I think it may mean a lot of different things for a lot of different brotherhoods. But I do understand his point that, like, you know, in other words, um, women will be more attracted to those who dare, to people who, to men who take risks, you know, and real risks. Uh, yeah, that's what I think. He, he's, he's talking about ninja warriors. And like, I, and, and, and I, I I think that there's something in that that makes sense to me because, again, it's it's sort of like if we are to get out of this virtual trap and and free ourselves back into the actual world, I think that that's what we find ourselves as. You talk about, um, I mean, the ninja warrior aspect of it. There's one thing that's it's kind of tangentially related, but you know, a critical aspect of it. Okay, the regime is like psychopathic psychotic you know people that want you know whatever they want you to do it's almost safe to do the opposite you know be sort of well off it just as a rule of thumb um you know they so anyway there's an emphasis on like they want you weak you know and, and mentally ill and all that so like focus on health and strength physically mentally morally all that but then there's that whole they want you isolated and uh you know living in this virtual world and and uh you know, the, the cultivation of like real life friendships. It's one of the things with the, the warrior aspect of military uh, that's been strange on many levels. I mean, the obvious being the the undermining the ability of 
say the United States to defend itself if say World War III does kick off. But the other thing is like, uh, you know, that for the development of fraternity among, uh, you know, platoon or, or squad or whatever, like of, of soldiers or, you know, that where you have people that you train with and you, you know, especially go into a, a combat zone with, it's like that would develop and people would feel, I can remember this line, um, and this was like an interview I saw of the director of Restrepo, the movie uh, where I guess he was embedded with some um, soldiers in Afghanistan. And he was talking about how when they came back, you know, one of the reporters at the screening for this film asked one of the soldiers, you know, do you miss anything about, you know, your time in Afghanistan? And the guy thought about it for a minute and said, man, to be honest with you, I miss almost all of it or something like that. And he, and so the filmmaker was saying, well, when he said that he wasn't saying like he missed fearing for his life or killing people or whatever, but it's like that fraternity of to his right, to his left, he's got his buddies that he knows he can count on them. They can count on him, you know, an accountability, a, a, a tight bonds that are formed you know and then you come back home and i just you know you're just an anonymous civilian and there's not you know outside of maybe like you know uh, sheriffs or firefighters or something like that i mean you, there's not many professions where you have that type of fraternity brotherhood camaraderie you know whatever and um and so anyway with the the powers that be have fucked up the military with all their woke bullshit that's one of the things that i, I it's like a devious angle of it you know one that is that's a devious angle of it where they really that was one place where young men could go to get that type of you know uh, feel like you're part of something and, and having camaraderie and this i wouldn't at this point recommend any young man to uh, i agree with morgo thorak the undead on substack where he said don't enlist don't die for this fucking global homo regime you know um but then too it's like okay how do we because that's i think the missing piece is like how do we in real life form these type of networks relationships with people because we live in a society where you know speaking for myself I, i'm living in a place where i didn't grow up you know I'm, and i look at my neighbors and most of them are in the same boat people move around a lot you you're in places where maybe you don't have these deep connections with the place where you live or the people that you live around you have friends and family but they're kind of spread out you know but that's obviously such a critical part of you know being healthy as a human being and thriving so you know i guess that's i'm just throwing that out there i mean i, I agree with grant what we're doing here has been really meaningful to me and you know look and the, you guys have been great in uh you know, providing this context to, for us to get together and discuss things and, and, and share ideas, you know, and, uh, and thinking about how do we translate that into real life? You know, uh, I mean, even if it comes to like real event, real life events that we do, or just in our own personal lives, like the people that are around us, you know, that seems to be the, the real million dollar question. I don't know, throw, throw that out there because I don't have, I'm still working on ideas on my part. Oh, we can hear you, Harrison. Harrison, you're muted. Harrison, you're muted. 
or something's wrong with your audio. Were you doing a Charlie uh, Chaplin impersonation? Uh, he does get you. His best <laughs> so, Chico Marx impersonation. So, so maybe, maybe I, uh, does it work? Or maybe I just I just go ahead uh, and you you interrupt me uh, once you're ready. All right. Uh, so I was just wanted to say about the ninja warrior kind of archetype something, right? Because I I think this isn't a kind of archetype, and uh, it's important to remember that that it's not necessarily you know like about um, fighting wars and and that sort of thing. You know, I mean, although it, obviously it can be. Uh, but this, it's it's more like an idea, right? And and sometimes you need to um, to think of these things more in terms of a, of something a higher level idea that can manifest in in all kinds of ways in 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 our individual lives, right? And and part of um, say brotherhood forming um, and uh, being a bad boy, right? Uh, a ninja in the night. Um, it can also be something like, you know, just putting yourself out there, you know, and just or speaking your truth or um, or something that we're doing here, like getting together um, before, like things go get really tough. Right. To to um, to risk something um, and uh, and conquer your fears kind of thing, you know, in, in, in different situations. And um, and that's how you form a brotherhood. And it can it doesn't have necessarily have to be, you know, something like, um, uh, yeah, something like literally like becoming something like a soldier, right? So I think it, it's really crucial to to not take things too literally sometimes, and and that would be my advice as well, you know, because for uh, for younger guys uh, who might not have the kind of life experience that can put these things into perspective, right? That, that's again my point about like not not having anybody like prescribe you something, you know, whether it's the mainstream or whether it's some alternative guru. Um, and, uh, and Bill Nyepsaki actually uh, quotes uh, Paul, uh, you know, who said something along the lines that, you know, the, the weakest, you know, that God works through the, the weak, weak people and the oddballs, you know, and the, the goofballs kind of thing. And, and I think that's a, a, a powerful message that emerged from, from that and from the whole article uh, that uh, part of like this hero's journey is like just be the go you know be the goofball you know do do your thing find out you know what's your own destiny and your own thing without apologizing right and and connected to that is something that I thought about um, that might also be worth mentioning uh, and you know like 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 the sixty eighters and and the, the the boomers and the the hippies and and that kind of people. They they had this slogan that um, everything is political, right? And and your private the private life is political. You know, sex is political, and everything is political. And um, and and I think it's dangerous to to fall into that kind of thinking, even as a reaction, right, to that. Um, and um, I don't quite like this idea. You know that that everything is is political. It's 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 a bit. Um, dangerous in the sense that, you know, if if you if you want to, um, I don't know, like uh, have romance, you know, or, or it's don't do it to to make a statement, right? A political statement. I mean, just um, do it for for learning how to do it and for for 
growing your your damn soul you know that that's where it's at you know it's not it's not a political statement or or the the same goes like for you know oh we live in a feminized society so i'm gonna treat women like shit you know because that's my that, that's my revolution you know that that, that that's kind of like falling into the, this trap you know that that these people that we're supposedly against um have said you know claiming that that everything is is political uh and it's not i'm not saying that it can't be a good motivation you're just seeing how bad it is out there and just doing something different you know i mean that's that's obviously a good idea but um uh i just think you know this this kind of mindset can be can be hurtful and we should actually figure out you know um what what's our destiny like how can we learn more how can we grow how can we uh, become wiser you know i mean which only come through experience through doing things right and through moving basically and uh i would just wanted to throw throw it out there because i i kind of read in in that article um a bit of a of that same point he seems to kind of get it uh, to my mind but also um there are like moments where i'm not sure you know like whether and uh he or at least like people who think like him you know might have fallen into into that that trap you know um which can yeah kind of like have not so good consequences on your own personal life you know or another way of putting it you know would be something like there's a difference between like the the macro analysis of what's going on in society and and the analysis from an individual perspective what you should do you know that there's the it's not the same you know you can describe a, a society and 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 describe the problems and and where they have led us and all that and there's no straight you know like straight logical um connection between that and what you should do in your life right it it just it's not so simple and uh and i think the whole article is a bit of a testament to that you know um yeah just wanted to throw that out there i want to comment on that because i i agree a hundred percent but it's it's difficult to keep that delineated because our enemies to them like you said everything is political and to them they want to destroy our way of life you know they want to destroy our ability to live our lives the way that we want to live them and so if we use that framing then us just trying to live our lives the way that we want to live them by their definition is a political act right so we just got to recognize that like we're not using their framing you know so from from their perspective yeah, everything that we do is political because it's resisting what they're doing, which is political. But in reality, what separates us from them is that we're just trying to live our lives in accordance with our own values. And grow, um, you know, like, and work yeah. towards something higher. That's, I guess, the difference, right? Uh, that uh, between, like, um, like, let's say, working deliberately towards a political goal because you think everything is political, right? That would be like, Oh, I don't want to get married, you know, but I I do get married because that's my statement, you know. Um, that's my political statement, you know, that which to my mind is complete nonsense, right? Uh, but um uh, but if you say, okay, um, I um 
you know, I'm striving towards something higher and I have no idea, you know, whether that will change the political system or whether this will, you know, create new institutions or subvert, you know, like something or whatever. It's just, I'm doing my best, you know, to, to get there and to, to grow and, and see that whole thing from a bit of a, of a higher perspective. I think then, then that's fine, but it's, it might be subtle. It's a subtle point, I guess. It is, but I agree with you that it probably affects the way that you think and the the degree to which you can uh, derive fulfillment out of your life. If you start framing everything in terms of it's this political war, um, probably harder to get after that fulfillment. Um, I, I think also, I mean, it's just sort of like just to bring it back to the subject of romance, because we're talking about we talk about what is political, what isn't political. And, and again, I agree with everybody. You know, it's it's sort of like when I when I when I attended art school uh, a million years ago, I remember I got into a bar fight one time over this concept, the idea that all art is political. And of course, I was the I was the one lone voice that was shouting the opposite thing. I said, no art is political. Uh, art that is political is called propaganda. And it was in the context of um, uh, they were talking about Jesse Helms and the whole idea of wanting to uh, eliminate NEA funding, the National Endowment for the Arts funding. And here I was, a young, uh, the, the portrait of a young, an artist as a young man who was bellowing uh, in favor of Jesse Helms. And against the NRA, I was agitating for it in a bar full of people that were extremely angry because they were all getting money from the NEA. And so here's the result. The result is I got laid that night. So here's the thing, um, because I was being sexy, okay? I wasn't being unmanly. I didn't start the fight. What I did was I said, as we we're all saying right now, we're saying that, well, we're just going to stand up and live our lives and say what we value and say the truth as we observe it. And believe it or not, that's incredibly sexy to women. You know, there was a time in my life, I'm not bragging, it's a confession, but there was a time in my life when I was extremely sex sexually attractive um to the uh, to the opposite sex to women um and i think part of that was negative and the part that was negative was this i was absolutely in many cases play acting the rebel and this is to say that um in other words what even my wife um when she describes her first impressions of me they were not good she said, not that one. She said, she said in, in the environment that we're in, she said, I was looking around at this whole field of men and you stood out as the one that I said, not that one, right? That one looks a little bit antisocial. That one looks like, reminds me of Travis Bickle is the way that she described me. Um, and yet, and yet, you know, and I did not light her cigarette. And she remembers that to this day. She says, like, she says, like, she asked me uh, for a light and I handed her a cigarette lighter. And she remembers that, too. And it was on purpose. Um, in a strange way, I was being sexually attractive because I was being uh, brusque. I was being rude. I was being um, an outsider of a certain sort that maybe was mysterious. But at the same time, um, you know, a lot of that was bullshit. So I think what he's saying to some degree towards the end of this article is don't be be that. Don't be bullshit. Don't be a bullshit version of that. Don't use that as a hook necessarily. He's trying to reinvigorate romance as it was, as it and should be. 
And if you're not that yeah. guy, right? If if you're not that, you know, like nineteenth um, century um, British gentleman kind of guy, you know, and you kind of try to simulate it. I mean, uh, obviously, women do pick up on that, right? I mean, it's like uh, that's what I what I meant when I said, you know, like it's that these these prescriptions or these, you know, like uh, you should do this or that. It's tempting for young people because they don't have the experience right uh, so they just right. need to follow advice to some degree and that's that's fine right i mean it gets you moving oh, gets, but but you know at the end I've, of the day it's it's just, just such an individual thing you know like one man can look like super sexy super strong you know doing this and the other man can look like super sexy super strong doing the complete opposite you know that's yeah it's a good story man But there is, but there is like a, I think that there, there's an opposite version of that where there's like the little guy that just goes around picking fights with everybody. And like, yeah, like at some level, there's going to be some, again, broken woman that's going to find that broken man attractive. Um, and we see that all the time. And we, we usually see it in sociopaths. These are people with long criminal histories. These are people that uh, people that I even know, like people that I, I just say like, okay, so you're all just about causing trouble for trouble's sake. And like this one is a vampire that feeds on that one's um, constant aggression. And again, sort of bullshit interaction, a bullshit rebel. Somebody who's just sort of like, who's just saying like, okay, I'm just going to cause a problem because like, that's what I like. I like to stir shit. And I think that that makes me seem powerful. Um, you know, it's like, I, I didn't get into fights. I, I looked like I was dangerous enough to win them most of the time. I did get into fights, but like most of the time I just projected, you know, an aura of like, hey, don't fuck with me. That was enough. That's usually enough for women, strangely enough, or at least for young women. I think for let's call them girls, because, you know, I think that I think women are girls into their mid 20s and men are boys into their mid 30s at this point um, in the way that they interact with the world. And just to pick up on what Luke was saying, like, I think it's even worse than the situation that they don't have the experiences. I think they almost have anti-experiences through media. I think that like, me, you know, this chewed up regurgitated form of experience, this phantom form that's almost like a dream where people feel like they've experienced things that they have, they know nothing about. They feel like they've lived a life, even though it was just sort of, you know, this was something that was pre-masticated and marketed to them uh, um, uh, uh, on multiple levels since they were in the crib. You know, there's every generation alive today, including the boomers, has been essentially from the crib, had this mediated layer of experience that is virtual, that is not, that is not actual. Um, and I think to some degree, the author is, is promoting this idea of get out there and be actual more than anything else. He's not saying necessarily that we need to become ninja warrior knights of the round table or something. Um, I think what he's saying is, he is saying that, but like, again, as Luke said, and, and as others have said, maybe not necessarily literally, but on some level, we are talking about secrecy, a secret brotherhood, if, if, if indeed the world is, as it seems to be, heading. Uh, towards this kind of a panopticon prison. Like we will all be outlaws in such a world, regardless of what we actually do. What we actually do day to day won't make a difference. We will be, you know, Stalin's um, uh, uh, guilty man, like where it's sort of like where there's, there is, you know, they can come up with a crime. 
it it doesn't really matter. All that matters is we don't want to play this social game as they've defined it. Um, in that sense, yeah, like actual secrecy, actual danger at a point, regardless of whether we want it or not, will will you know that that I think that what he's saying is that will become the reality at some point, no matter what we do, we will be hunted at some point, and that we should probably make ourselves into the type of people that you don't want to fuck with. And, but that women on the other hand do. That was very, very eloquent. I, uh, thank you. Thank you sir. Yeah. The anecdote and, um, that, that made me think that maybe another aspect to it. Um, cause I, I agree with everything that you said, Mark, and, um, it's not something that occurred to me, but maybe the, recommendation to you know establish these brotherhoods in secret is a way of recommending uh that people find space where they can practice uh being true to themselves and saying what they believe um for those that don't have the luxury of being able to do that uh in whatever you know sinecure that they're dependent upon you know to feed themselves uh, in the, you know, professional managerial class dominated uh, world. So it's like, if you don't work a trade, uh, if you have one of these professional managerial class jobs, you're essentially living on your knees. And, you know, if you're trying to, you know, be a real person, and I guess to use Mark's story, you know, to be sexy in order to find someone and, uh, get married, but I think also more importantly, perhaps stay married. You know, I, I think this might be a reason why uh, some marriages fall apart. And I actually wrote about this in the context of the uh, military COVID vaccine mandate when I wrote my appeal uh, for religious accommodation. I outlined this anecdote of what would happen to me, you know, if I. Um, you know, submitted to getting this vaccine that I didn't believe in. And in that story, you know, you know, it ends my marriage. And, you know, I really did think through that. And, you know, I think the ability for me to have a solid marriage um, and have the respect of my wife is I like she she wouldn't be she I wouldn't be me if I bent the knee to these uh fucking tyrants i wouldn't be me and she would recognize that and um you know maybe we could stay together but for all intents and purposes my like the spirit of my marriage would be strangled by that and i can't be the only one i think that that's probably very common i think that a lot of times when women say hey i no longer find my husband attractive so i'm going to get a divorce um, maybe this is one of the dynamics that is causing that. The fact that they see their husbands um, constantly bending the knee, um, you know, docile and submissive to a human resources department that uh, makes them mouth how they're uh, evil or, you know, inherently racist um, or, or just 
you know, going to work in a place where nobody respects you, respects what you bring to the team, and you just uh, take it day in and day out. It's got to just have a pervasive impact on your overall demeanor um, and just cause a spiritual sickness that probably is very unattractive. And, and, you know, that this idea of learning how to um, be someone who's not getting fucked with, um, you know, I, I think that um, a lot of it has to do with the mindset, right? And and it's just something in, in, in the mind, basically. And I mean, I, for example, I, you know, I freely admit I'm, I, I have always suffered from a lot of anxiety, right? It's just uh, something that Uh, one of my particular mess ups, right? And uh, just just our days were, you know, it is where it's really hard. You know, it's uh, it it's just what it is, and and I guess everybody has some sort of weakness like this. You know, if it's not like uh, uh, anxiety, it might be something else. And uh, but we kind of need to uh, to grapple with this kind of neuroticism, right? It's just something that um, we need to work on uh because otherwise you you know it will be just weak and and we will just be you know run over by by everything and and that that's not good and and it's not necessarily something that there's a five-step plan you know to to fix or or something like that you know it's like uh but i think the key is really working on 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 your mindset uh, because that's where you change it Right, you can actually change it, and it's a deliberate, deliberate thing that you can do. It's just, it just needs like years and years and years of work, and you better start today. You know, if uh, it won't get easier if the world goes to shit even more. You know, and uh, uh, I think that's that's absolutely crucial. And and then you know how that manifests. You know, whether you, you know, like you stand up against the vaccine mandates, or or it might be something completely different or even small things you know in your in your daily life that can make you attractive to to your wife you know and or to if you, or attract the wife if you don't have one right it's just and sometimes it's even small things um and not like the you know the the big fight uh, whatever but um it starts in the mind and uh, i'm i ha i'm convinced of that you know because i have experienced it and and you need to to learn i i think in one of my posts i kind of described it as a I think I actually used the word like a mind ninja, you know, so tellingly. So I think that so billionaire psycho uh, used the same word, so it kind of fits. Um, I think that's what you what you need to become, like kind of like a mind ninja, right? So if there's um, anxiety creeping up, you know, like or some paranoia or, or whatever it is, you just have to take out, you know, like your sword or whatever ninjas use, you know, I have no idea and just, you know, cut it uh Had that you know like oppressing energy and that you know like blackness that tries to engulf and you just cut it to pieces you know like and and just give it a roundhouse kick and whatever and and you know do that sort of warfare in your mind right and then suddenly you know that the light clears you know sun is coming out again and you realize it's just bullshit in your head you know it's uh just kill it you know and uh Uh, yeah, so that's just the, the sort of thing I, I would recommend, you know. Okay, can you guys hear me at all? Oh, yeah, we hear you. Okay, good. So, um, well, I, I caught the last like five minutes, but there was a, a period there where I, 
I was just focusing on trying to get my microphone to work. So I want to backtrack just a little bit. And I think this is still relevant, of course, but um, <clears throat> this gets back to something that was mentioned um, in the beginning of the discussion about, um, well, I'll call it, well, there's a few ideas I want to put together. So first is the, first I'll go to the, the brotherhood idea and the, the kind of military brotherhood imagery. So I started, uh, like a, a month ago, I started reading this book, The Social Philosophers by Robert Nisbet. This is one that uh, Michael McConkie recommended on uh, Circulation of the Elites. And right at the beginning there, he talks about what he calls like two fundamental um, social structures or like means of relating socially, um, the kinship structure and the military structure. And think about, about kinship. So kinship was basically like a clan-based society. It was your, your closest relatives. And there was a very, very, a very kind of strict and unerring hierarchy and structure to it. So it was based like if you were old, you were an elder. If you were young, you were a young person. And you had like, there was a, a very specific place you fit in the structure. Now, so and all the prestige went to like the you know the chief and the elder people and the the kind of the head of the family and everyone else was subordinate to that and um so there was in that sense no individuality because the the structure itself was like group-based family-based or or like tribe or clan based and then the military structure broke that up and he talks about this in the context of the um like the, the breakup of the kinship structure in ancient greece and the military structure totally broke that structure and totally broke that kinship structure. And it created um, um, a structure that was totally independent of those kind of family ties. And so the, in this sense, it was individualistic because an individual could be a young guy that wasn't, that didn't hold any um, like place of importance in the, in the kinship um, society could now rise through the ranks of the military and it was entirely determined based on basically your rank in the military acting to there's still a, a collective element of acting together but um you know a, as a group as a cohesive group but it was completely it was structured in a completely different manner so um and then so he, he emphasizes that this was in a sense compared to the kinship structure an individualistic structure even though you know you don't, might not think about the military in terms of its individualism, but in terms of the guy that gets the glory, um, you can see it in that sense. So he he has these two fundamental structures, and then everything else is kind of well, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure he says says that pretty much everything else is kind of like a variation on these structures. We have new new social forms like religious and and uh, political um, state like in the in the sense of states, but fundamentally like in the human condition there are these two forms so i find it interesting that there's this call there's this almost like pullback to a military structure when the military structure um you know it, it's not as as fundamental well i guess you would say it's it's probably is maybe they're both pretty fundamental but it's there's a, a part of me that thinks that going back to to basics would would mean kind of searching for a kinship structure, you know, that that sense of family and community, right? And that's what Grant was talking about really early on in, in this in this conversation is, um, you know, how do we rebuild that? And it's not going to be like, um, you know, some guy in the desert with a, you know, no trespassing sign. How do, how do you rebuild that, like a sense of that organic community? Um, that isn't really 
in a sense that is antithetical to this military culture, this military structure. But so I'm wondering if there's a contradiction here or not, or if the the okay, I'm wondering if the the military structure as kind of like an alternative and a supplement to the kinship structure originally is functioning as this is playing the same role now as a an alternative to what isn't a kinship structure, but it's this weird, um, you know, it's this weird something that's influenced by a whole, whole bunch of other stuff. But Grant, you have a few comments on that. So uh, jump in there. So I don't think it's, uh, I don't think there's a contradiction because I don't think that the military imagery has anything to do with the military structure. In fact, um, it's, it's kind of quite the opposite. So the way that small unit cohesion works in practice is you identify less with the military hierarchy, uh, the greater the extent of that cohesion at the small unit level. So like you might have a squad leader who's the leader of the group. Um, and, you know, that's a small unit, you know, nine, nine personnel, right? Or a fire team. Um, it's got a, a buck sergeant E5 and, you know, a couple privates and a specialist maybe. Um, those small units, if they're tight, they really stop thinking of rank and they really actually stop identifying with higher headquarters. Mm-hmm. So, like, they're aware of the platoon level. The company's level, which is two echelons up, is very far away. It's not a concern. They don't identify with it. They don't care. They care about the people in their small unit. And there's actually been a lot of research that shows that in prolonged combat operations, that is the only thing that holds the unit together. The only thing. Um, And so you don't actually, there's this misconception. There's a misconception in the military too. You know, I've, I've been looking into this a lot because of all the diversity, equity, and inclusion stuff. Uh, the fact that there's been an explosion in suicides and it's like, how do we solve this problem? I think the two are related, frankly. So, you know, I've been kind of doing a deep dive on literature and found a, uh, a really great paper um, about small unit cohesion. And, you know, there's research on it where they've, where they've looked and established that that's the case. And it, it gets to the point where somebody could be in a hospital and they break out of the hospital to go join their unit again, but it's just to get back with their brothers that they're accountable to. They don't care about the war effort. They don't care about patriotism. None of that shit means anything at that point. It's just the people that are left and right that they have that bond with. And at that point, once you have that level of cohesion, yeah, somebody's the leader, but they're not thinking in terms of rank. It's it's a brotherhood and it's uh it's I think more along those lines of of kin at that point. Well, those are all really good points. Um, I think that that made me think that um, I think that Nisbet's point was that in that military unit, the guys aren't related, right? It's not a it's not a family structure. It's kind of um, it, it's a it's a different type of bond. Um, whereas, so he's talking about it in this sociological historical context, where you know prior to a certain point, there there was no military structure in that sense that everything was 
was tribal based. You were clo like closely related to everyone that you were interacting with, like uh, even in a like a hunting situation. Military structure is is while it has that cohesion on like the on the on the, the small group level, you're you're forming a a bond with people that you wouldn't have previously in a smaller community based like tribal or clan based setting. Yeah. Absolutely. And don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, that this doesn't even actually happen very much like this, this degree of cohesion. Um, and, and really now I don't think it exists almost at all anywhere in the military, especially. I, I, I think that you could even actually say um, that it is a metaphysical bond or even a holy bond if you're willing to go that far. Because what we are talking about is something that transcends tribe, that transcends mm -hmm. physicality. And, and even as Grant is saying, transcends strategy, transcends allegiance, um, chance, transcends chain of command. And in, in, in that sense, I think we could say unit. When we say unit, we don't necessarily need to go military. There are lots of units in society and in the world and in just human uh, thriving. And so it's just sort of like smaller units. Let's see, smaller units that are more cohesive are also more flexible. They're, 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 the, the communication layer is also um, more adaptive and responsive and agile. Like, like in, in some ways, we're talking about Dunbar's number. In some ways, we're talking about um, a fractal um, version of what we're, we see in, in you know, global hege hegemony and in, in these, these globalist elites, like that, where they're saying like, no, no, no. Uh, the best, most efficient system is centralized command from a great distance. And we know that that's the opposite of reality. We know that small, cohesive units are the ones that get things done. These are the primary actors on the material plane. It is not some bureaucrat sitting in a desk in Zurich. It's not, it's, it, it, it can't be that. What there are, they could do tremendous damage um, in that model. And have mm -hmm. historically, you know, Harrison's like cataloged quite a bit of this, you know, through Lobachevsky and, and and through other um, explorations. But we all know this. We all know that what is distant and cold and centralized and and at the same time um, diffuse and weak at every end uh, will result in disaster. And so maybe like when we're talking about these bands of brothers, these 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 fellowships, whatever they are. Like, that's what we're really talking about. We're talking about size and like agility, you know? And I think that, that yeah, so it, it transcends just the military paradigm. Like, it's not just, we're not just talking about the military. We're talking about any group of actors that are cohering towards a certain shared goal, which could be a business, which could be um, a church, which could be any number of things. Um, a, 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 you know, it's it's like, I wrote that, I don't know if you had anybody read my piece where I was talking about the possibility of sanity clubs. I don't know. I have yet to develop that, but something like that, like something where it doesn't, you know, we, we now can, even though it's virtual and even though I think that that has problems, like we now can form clubs across great distances um, and not just of space and, and time, but of experience of, um, of spheres of, influence of skills you know it's it's a it's a very unusual time and like we, we i think if i have any big criticism of billionaire psychos article it's that 
I think in the in the rush to criticize the technology, because as he orders it, he says, well, that is that is uh, in a priority position to all of these other troubles. I, you know, I, I, I do think that we, sh- we have to, we need to, and are learning how to turn what could be a very destructive technology to our advantage. And I, and, and I think we should be doing more and more of that, uh, of that. And, and, and the one criticism that I think towards the end is that, you know, there was through this imagery and through this, this this general idea that I agree with that like romance is to be found in the physical, the physical world, the physical interactions, the risks that are involved in that. Um, at the same time, you know, if I'm going to be a, um, a a ninja warrior knight, like bounding around in the in the darkness in the in the in the wilderness with my brothers, um, and 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 all the women that are chasing after us, I'd rather be a techno ninja knight. I'd rather. I'd rather use the tools that I have to their greatest advantage while understanding their weaknesses and dangers. And I think that as a, as a ramble or a, or a, or a polemic or whatever you want to call this, like, I think at the end, I was sort of, I sort of got a little bit of a taste of a Luddite um, uh, spice there at the end where it was just sort of like, yes, uh, we need to reject the, 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 the sort of the overwhelming damage that technology does. But at the same time, we're all communicating through this technology. We're swimming in it. You know what I mean? And it's just sort of like, I, as much as we have to, we, we want to um, get back into the physical, we have to realize that this will be a component of that as well. Actually didn't get that. I didn't get that it was a rejection. It was more of exactly what you say that we just have to uh, learn how to use it differently right, right. Just, not not a rejection nothing. not a rejection yeah you're right yeah, not a rejection but it's do about it in fact he said like hey it's here like there's there's no going back so i i think his, his point was actually exactly the same point that you're making um there's just not you know the imagery suggests you know a certain physicality right. that's but... that's what i meant the imagery grant you're right this is what i exactly meant is that yes he was saying that and at the same time, the images that we are shown suggests something else. That's why I think it's like it's not it's more of a collage than like a, a traditional yeah, piece. And, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, that's OK. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I just just want to say um, that uh, I think there are a few points in the article where he kind of contradicts himself. You know, you could read it that way which I actually liked, to be honest, you know, because um, it kind of makes you think. And uh, and also um, these things are contradictory, you know, sometimes. And uh, and with the, you know, physical thing, I, I think what he was getting at, and I mean, that's, I mean, spot on, you know, it's like with the whole dating thing, there's just nothing, you know, that, that replaces like being with people, you know, and, and just learning that. And there are so many people today, uh, young people who just, I mean, they're barely able to go to the supermarket, you know, because they just don't have the the social ability, um, you know, and, and it's just crazy. And but I think uh, that it, it's a good point, you know, to say that, I mean, you've got to learn the basics, you know, and just uh, be interact with people in the in the f- flesh, you know, uh, and, and not just uh, on the screens. And at the same time, you know, I think and I, I think that's his was his point as well, that we need, you know, we cannot, um, we have 
we don't, cannot use the same answers, you know, that were valid in the 1950s or 60s or whenever, you know, it's just, it doesn't work. We, we don't, we, we, it's not the same question even, right? So uh, there, there's no choice but to figure th these things out in, in the context that we live in, right? And, and just, uh, you know, as an example, um, you can reject, you know, like the, the whole Tinder thing, you know, but do you reject like WhatsApp, you know, or, how do you man how you do you deal with uh, you know with with messages and 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 that's where a lot of dating happens as well you know i mean it's that's just a spectacular ch like change you know that you, you it's it's hard to overestimate what what that did you know just text messages you know it, it's not as crazy as something like tinder but you know texting is just so incredibly different and can lead to so you know different outcomes whatever and and has its own traps and and how do you deal with that you know i mean you obviously can't say okay i'm gonna be a hermit you know and then just call me on my landline you know uh, kind of thing uh but uh even though that might be a good idea to be honest but no but you kind of have to play the game a little bit you know and 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 to a certain degree and i think that's kind of like the the tension that that we're all de dealing with right you, you we have this devilish system uh, which has enslaved us you know and we should admit it you know even everybody is enslaved by it in, in a way uh but uh we need to figure out you know um how how to use it how to deal with it uh and and there's just no straight answer to that question you know and that's that's the thing and if any article, you know, or author who claims to have a straight answer, you know, just doesn't cut it. And I think that's what Billionaire Psycho really was upset with. And it, the whole article was kind of a response. I, I read it that way, you know, to, to these people um, who come with, with ready answers. Did you guys read um, Librarian of Serrano? I'm mispronouncing it. Librarian of Serrano's Substack, the article about uh, he did about coyotes. Or the eastern coyote where the reason i think it addresses what you're saying luke uh you know you're talking about kids today Aaron, some are so dysfunctional they can't even go to the supermarket you know there's this uh dogs or domesticated dogs for lack of i mean they're great i have two but they're kind of retarded wolves you know where like uh wolves are just a lot smarter and a lot but wolves are also not so agreeable if you try to get them to fetch or whatever they're you're gonna say fuck you i'm getting out of here though you know what i mean like um and so he he proposes coyote is this kind of middle ground where the coyote's been very versatile like living in the wild but also living among human beings and even mating with wolves and dogs to domesticated dogs to create this kind of weird hybrid uh animal but you know you have I guess on the one hand, society's turning us into these domesticated dogs where just like the kids that are so dysfunctional, they can't even go to the supermarket. You, know, you have some dogs that, you know, if you put them in the wild, I mean, they look cute, but if you put them in the in a state of nature, they're not going to last two seconds, you know. Uh, but then you have the wolves on the other extreme that are, you know, these brilliant apex predators. They work well together in this wild setting, but they're just not able to coexist with human society human civilization and then it's like but then the coyote has done so well because it's versatile it's uh you know adaptable and, and it, it kind of presents that anyway so it's a uh great article the title is coyote the coyotes are not what they seem on hybrid figure by librarian of so, solano 
his name I'm sure I'm mispronouncing, but it speaks to that. And it just kind of like, I, you know, it's not a concrete, here's a practical step on how to be a coyote, but just maybe a different way of a, a useful, I don't know, paradigm shift to use the manager buzzwords. Uh, that thought was good. But anyway, sorry, I think maybe I was cutting off Harrison. You were about to say something. Oh, well, I, I was just going to bring up a part of the, a part that I think we just kind of briefly alluded to, and that's his short discussion on the idea of meritocracy. And I thought his presentation of it was just really good. I'm just going to read a couple sentences from it. So he says, the basic premise of meritocracy is that anyone can succeed. Anyone can get rich if they are willing to sacrifice, study, chase risks, and invest many years into grueling effort. Anyone can be a winner. You get what you deserve. So we talked about how this, uh, this kind of form of ambition, you see it in the, the idea of the striver, the social striver, who <clears throat> essentially just like a, a social chameleon cycle or sociopath, as he puts it. But then he writes, the beautiful theory of meritocracy, government by the best, brightest, when applied, has been sociopathic. The flip side of this aspirational logic is obvious in hindsight. If anyone can be a winner, hard work is always rewarded and you always get what you deserve, then losers deserve to lose. Suffering is earned. Poverty is justice. Failure is a kind of karmic retri retribution, perhaps for laziness or a cowardly aversion to risk-taking. <clears throat> so I, <clears throat> I thought that just by phrasing in this, in this way, it's uh, Well, that, so, that is that is sort of how they're framing uh, meritocracy, except it just means for certain groups. So like right. the way that they do it now is they say, like, no, you deserve what uh, what what your your um, current state of degradation. You deserve it because you are this or you are descended from that, whereas this other group or this other person. Well, that's that's a, that's just a, a, a result of structural or whatever. Like you, that's not your fault at all. So like there's a meta meritocracy going on beyond all of this that is um, completely hypocritical, illogical, uh, immoral, insane. And like that's that's what that's what drives a lot of people, you know, up a wall where it's just sort of like, you know, you don't really mean what you say you mean um, when you say meritocracy. And, and, and oftentimes it cuts in both directions, but usually it's in one direction where it's just sort of like, you will be blamed if we want to blame you. You will be guilty if we want you to be guilty if it, if it's required. Um, and then it's uh, and then it just becomes a game of scapegoating. And and I think he understands that we all get that. Like that's that's part of the frustrating part of this piece. It's like yeah, we know, you know what I mean. But you you've put it very well, and you've put it in this like you said you've, you've put it in. Um, this is a this is a long article contained of many short bursts of insight that are very concise and i think mm -hmm. like that's that's one of them right is like the lie yeah. of meritocracy or the deception of it yeah well but the, yeah. the one sec around so the thing about that like he describes the the theory of medic of meritocracy as government by the best brightest and kindness well that's just a description of aristocracy aristocracy like that's what aristocracy meant is the you know government by the best it, so the i think that the what the thing about meritocracy, it's this idea of, um, he talks about it, it, it just a, a bit further on, I think this, it's this winner take all mentality that 
it, it provokes or it, it promotes this intense competition to then enter the meritocracy and everyone else gets uh, gets left behind and screwed over. So there's something fundamentally like pathological about that system because in a what maybe you could call it like a competocracy where everyone just gets sorted to the level of competence like a person a person like well he gives the the screenshot of the the 4chan post about the guy that's working at the position like he's working at the same position as the the older guys are in his whatever profession he's in whatever job they all own houses he's paying eighteen hundred dollars in rent for a small apartment and the guys are like well that's crazy you know i was able to buy my house at this position you know at this job in this position which is what you're at you know in my 20s and now i'm living in this house and you know it's quadrupled in value and you know etc and, and my like mortgage payment is a fraction of what you're paying in rent and so the when 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 that situation obtains you have a, like this is the wealth pump that turchin describes you have a whole bunch of people who have not enough and then you've got the the meritocrats who allegedly merit being there um who who have way more who have like kind of everything you have this extreme this extreme inequality whereas in a in a true competocracy you know a, a true a true social system not just a government not just ruled by the the competent but in a um like in a in a sane social structure a person who is only competent at a certain level like it could be the other guy the other screenshot of the guy working at the uh um at the gas station like he a person with a job like that should be able to support themselves and a family right and that's that's the well, yeah. way it used to be right in that well the yes and no i mean like maybe though weren't those people time bandits though like if we're talking if we want to give a full accounting of the boomers i'm talking time banditry i'm saying they stole from the future or they borrowed from the future i should i, I should say like they borrowed significant amounts of money and capital and value that didn't fucking exist you know and like so like so when we're, we're talking about generation x and generation y and generation z and z plus one or whatever if anything comes after it we're talking about an impoverished series of generations that were impoverished through loan outs of of, of essentially imaginary capital so like yeah they're living in these houses and they're they're gaining this equity from these so-called investments that were based on 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 essentially lies and and future transfer payments and other transactions that um that were speculative at best and were just kind of outright lies at worst you know it's just sort of like like in other words i'm saying like i agree with you that like that's the situation and 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 that and he put it very well he said like well i can't afford any of this my point is i don't think e they could either you know, like everything post-war in the post-war economy, I think, became rapidly mutated. Um, and certainly, like with the rise of the petrodollar, certainly with the death of Bretton Woods, certainly like we saw these, these wild mutations of value itself, like where people were just really borrowing against a future that, you know, again, that they that that they themselves um were purposefully, you know, um mis- understanding and misimagining in their favor so it's yeah. sort of like so do those do those houses that those people live in do they actually have the value that's that's mm. um attached to them like that's a that's a question that i have all the time you say it's like a the whole financial sector turned into a giant pyramid scheme i you know whenever the 
1913 or whatever. And it's like each generation gets in later in this pyramid scheme. And so, well, by the, you know, yeah, but it's early, early adopter to the pyramid scheme, you can actually do well, but later on it's like, the returns or just get worse and worse and worse. I think it's an excellent point, actually. What I, I really have never thought about it like that. You know that what you guys just described, because you know the the meritocracy idea. It sounds like kind of straightforward, right? In the abstract, um, like okay, you you work hard, you know, you get more, you know, that's fair, you know, or you're just doing something more productive, uh, you know. So it it sounds easy on paper right but actually uh you would have to compare you know um over la- over long stretches of time right you, you can't just compare like me you know to the next guy you know this hour you know but you you would have to you know if if i'm uh working like as hard as someone else 10 years ago you know and i know in 10 years I won't be nearly close, you know, but to this, this other guy, this other guy, you know, and then he might've worked the same, you know, uh, or be uh, equally productive. Then, you know, it, it falls apart, you know, the, the whole idea, because then, you know, where's the, where's the, you know, meritocracy here, because uh, we have done the same, right. And yet there's a vast gulf um, in, and, and so you would, you would really have to take into account like um long, a long time span and uh and all those bubbles and and inflations and what have you you know so uh and and i think you know i i've i've written this article um the truth in in volkism um and it wasn't specifically about that but you know that how how wokeism and and all sorts of ideologies like that how they gain a foothold is always you know via a certain truth right so otherwise just nobody would would ever care ever you know and it just wouldn't get a foothold in or foot in the door um and so in this case you know that the, i think we we kind of instinctively recognize that meritocracy you know it, it it sounds like a good ideal you know but it's just not how life works exactly right we, we all kind of know that you know it's uh uh, they're, they're just people working their ass off, you know, just n- n- they don't get anywhere. And there's people who like uh, just, you know, d- inherit everything and just live the good life, you know, and all, all that kind of stuff, you know, or just get lucky or it's just life is complex, you know, and and I would say actually there's an element of destiny in it and, and fate uh, that it's not like you can easily plot, you know, on a, on a graph, but uh, that's just makes it even more complicated. But um, and and that's I think the, the the kernel of truth in 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 some of these vogue attacks on on you know on the idea of metocracy and there is you know it's it just sounds too good to be true you know and and that's an important aspect I think that you you guys have like described and and I mean I'm maybe I'm just a, a bit behind the curve but I've never <laughs> really thought about it you know like that that actually. Um, you know, if if there's an econo- economic economic decline, you know, th- this whole idea doesn't work. You know, how how can you even compare? You know, what what one guy does, you know, with the other. Yeah, the, the thing that jumped out to me about it is the blaming of people for failure, because this just it goes right into this common thing where there's this left right split. And this is the common dialectic, right? Where people that are rich, it's like, hey, I'm rich because I earned it. 
and the people that are poor they deserve it and then on the on the left the other side is the poor people are like well all the rich people stole it okay that's why they're rich is because they stole it and that uh that lacks the nuance of the reality so like the reality is like much more complicated but it's really it's a combination of both uh because some of the rich people absolutely did steal it and some of the people that aren't successful um you know it's it's you know sometimes it's because they're lazy or crazy maybe society failed them whatever but this is why i really like focusing on um you know for like free market type stuff when it comes to this because it's 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 amoral there's not like there's no good or bad like people don't deserve to be rich or poor based on their competencies because a lot of that's genetic right a lot of it's circumstance there's not equal opportunity some people have more opportunity than others it's not what you deserve because of your competence or your ability or how hard you work that matters it can't that can't ever be morally just to have it be based on that the only thing that could be based on is how productive are you and getting the getting to enjoy the fruits of your productivity that's the only morally consistent middle ground between these two uh you know positions where you know both sides there's a grain of truth you know if, if you're really competent and you produce a lot and other people get to enjoy the fruits of your labor and you do too cool if you're if you're really not competent and not capable and you can't produce much i mean pretty much the thing is, is given that given nature and how everybody's varied and we all have different abilities and capabilities and levels of skill and different opportunities even people uh in america the idea of the american dream was not that anybody could be a rock star it was that you could take your innate ability and position and you could work hard and you could get a return on that you know you could work hard play hard is what you're saying well you could you could make work a hard, work hard play hard yeah, not that you would be uh, wealthy, but that even if you, you know, weren't the most intellectually gifted, you know, you, you didn't, you know, weren't going to be inheriting any money. And in fact, maybe inheriting debts. Um, but isn't the American dream, in. isn't the American dream, for, forgive me for my uh, European ignorance, but isn't the American dream uh, more something like um, you can actually move to the, you know, to the very top of society? No, not by a, not according hard. to the guy. Not according to the guy who coined the term. You yeah, know? Oh, that's so, interesting. So the, the guy who wrote the book on it, um, that that coined the term, it he very explicitly acknowledged that people have different innate abilities, and they're going to get to different different places. So yeah, that that idea is a of it's a straw man of the American dream. The idea that anybody can make because it's like obviously not true at all. And the American, the American dream is just like not class. There's no class um, ceilings. I think it's something like meant, that, yeah. right? Like there's not an artificial ba boundary. It's, it's the like boundary you, is like what you're willing to input. Something so you like can that. you can yeah. be, be like an aristocrat basically by, you know, by being competent, productive, whatever. You can become an you know aristocrat, quote unquote, you know, in the American way. 
Um, I think that's as opposed to, you know, like, a, uh, like traditional European, you know, aristocratic system where there's, you can get like a, a hugely rich industrialist, you know, but there's still a ceiling, you know, where you, unless some, I think, some I think, nobleman needs some money and, and, and marries their daughter to you, but. Uh, <laughs> right. I think like, actually you're hitting on like the key difference there. Cause like, there's a contradiction in mer meritocracy, right. As opposed to aristocracy. So the contradiction with meritocracy is like something along the lines of, Oh, well, you know, if you put in a lot of hard work and ex effort and stuff, then you will not have to put in a lot of effort and hard work and stuff. You can relax. In other words, the more you put in, in, hard work and effort, the more you can relax. There's a contradiction there because what they're really talking about is generating wealth. And like once upon a time, the idea was, well, it's not just for me. I am generating wealth for my name, for my family, for my clan, for everything that goes forward into this future that I won't ex experience, that I won't inhabit in any physical way. So it's sort of like, so once upon a time, wealth was considered generational wealth. The idea of me putting in a huge amount of work, which I can enjoy the fruits of my labors because I'm too busy working, right? But like, at a, at a, there was a point where they said like, yes, but I may be busy working, but my children or their children or their children's children will at some point be able to just relax and, and then we get into the philosophical ter territory of like, what the fuck is wealth for anyway? You know, I, yeah. I, I would say, I, I would say that like my first, like, uh, uh, just to bring it back into the realm of romance, for example, I was thinking about the first time that I got a girl naked in the room with me. Right. And I can remember everything about that experience. It was the most exciting fucking thing ever. Right. It was just sort of like this idea. And then we were, and then we're touching each other and then we're embracing each other. And we're 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 breaking all the rules. Like this, this is a night. Uh, music's blasting. Everything is perfect. And I'm like, how much money would I trade for that night? What's that night worth? What is that experience worth? What is wealth for? If you know, it's sort of like. Uh, and then you and then you see these wealthy um, pseudo aristocrats and technocrats that are chasing after weird dreams of immortality and all kinds of other uh, nonsense and bullshit. And I'm just sort of like, I think to myself, it's like, there is a contradiction in the, in the heart of meritocracy in the sense that like merit for what merit in service of whom, like, it's sort of like past the, 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 the experiences, like the one I just mentioned, it's sort of like, okay, so you had that and you wouldn't trade it for the world, but you might trade it for something. You might trade it for, for, for something that was worthwhile. You might trade it for, um, uh, something that was good and something that transcended the mundane everyday toil of life. Um, and that's, and that's where we get into the realm of the philosophical and the metaphysical. That's where we transcend all of the nonsense of like, I'm working all hard, hard all week so I could play hard all weekend, which is, you know, not necessarily a nihilistic sense of sentiment, existentialist maybe, but like not something that's particularly interesting when you drill down into it, not something that seems aligned with life and like the idea of a life that is meaningful and purposeful. And so like when people argue against things like capitalism or meritocracy, I think like really what they're, they're really saying is, damn, I can't, I'm in this void. I'm in this darkness. I can't see any reason or purpose or meaning to anything that I do. 
And like if if and and so rather than assault that, they assault these straw men of, oh, it must be this system, it must be the system, it must be capitalism, it must be meritocracy, it must be the education system or 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 the 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 prison um uh industry or something like that. They 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 push it out to the political. They push it out just like a, a bear in the woods is a is a hairy fang monster until somebody calls it a bear and then it makes it less somehow makes it is supposed to make it less scary. You can now you can you can you can identify it and you can put it in its box. And that's what politics is now. Politics is like trying to like get these scary monsters and name them and put them in little boxes. Um, but that meaning, that 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 death of meaning, that absence. I think that that's what this article is mostly trying to describe this this vast dark void of meaninglessness um and 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 romance as a way out of that and I and I agree with that. Yeah, I do too, but I feel autistically compelled to uh, address the contradiction because I think it's pretty straightforward. Um you work hard up front because you can generate capital doing that. Capital increases the efficiency of your labor. So then you don't have to work as hard. Um, like that's the idea in a free world. And um, that only works as long as everybody is engaging um, economically, uh, cooperatively. As soon as coercion enters into the equation, that's a way of cheating that system. And that's really ultimately the the simplistic, my under simplistic understanding of of all of this stuff, is when everybody when people are mad looking for a villain, they name capitalism or they name this or that, and they don't understand that really the the villain is always coercion, um, always, uh, because if everybody could just cooperate and nobody tried to cheat, then that's simply how it would work. You know, people that were more competent um, and more capable that worked harder would be able to generate more capital that would increase efficiency of labor. So then they wouldn't have to work as hard. Wealth accumulates. And, um, you know, some people aren't as competent. They're not able to do that as much or even maybe accrue enough to make a meaningful difference in how hard they have to work and live paycheck to paycheck. But it's, you know, the constraints are imposed by nature because nature doesn't make life just easy to live. Like you have to feed yourself, you have to clothe yourself, you have to protect yourself against the elements. And all of this requires capital and labor, you know, like, like existing isn't free. And that underlying reality is kind of what we're all fighting against. And if we all agreed to do so purely cooperatively, um, I think humanity would be very prosperous, very sustainably. But we can't all agree to do that. I mean, we do vocally, but behind the scenes, um, that's what politics is to me, essentially, is disguising, um, disguising coercion, you know, disguising, uh, you know, outright theft, um, you know, usury, cheat, cheat, you know, just cheating. Um, and we, we, in spite of, all of that, you know, what I got out of the article is, you know, the system was more probably balanced towards cooperation than 
coercion enough so that a lot of wealth was created and a lot of prosperity but the parasites have overwhelmed the host and the structure of the host you know is dependent upon these degrees of competence that come from social technologies that no longer exist and so now it's just not going to be able to sustain because they just as we optimized for efficiency with this you know you know quote unquote meritocracy um the the psychopaths and sociopaths and strivers have optimized for um using political systems and uh, other large institutions to um disguise coercion as compassion um writ large so i didn't really want to go on all into that but i had to i felt compelled to defend the honor of capitalism's name i i'm not i'm not i'm i am not a a, a attacking capitalism nor am i attacking meritocracy as you say what i'm attacking is that like that these things exist in 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 this laboratory format that people pretend they do because that's not what we live in they could wear any kind of mask or drag outfit that it wants to that's not we do not live in a capitalist system, nor do we live in a meritocracy. Um, we live in a, a funhouse mirror of those things um, that are, and, and the imagery is controlled um, by criminals, essentially. So we're not in disagreement, actually. I'm just, I just wanted to go on the record and say, I'm not a, I'm not a communist. I'm saying that, I'm saying that, that, that these are used as, as, as sort of rhetorical tools to actually produce the opposite results in many cases. Like in other words, I could say meritocracy out of one side of my mouth. And then what I really mean is some kind of a class system um, that I already have gained ahead of time, which that's clown world. You know, that's that's what we live in. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. You know, I and I think really there's a thing uh, called agorism which I don't know if you have heard of as big in libertarianism, but it's the idea like uh, in French system D that's kind of, he, he alludes to that in the article, which is the solution, right? So it's like, we have this system that's been infested and totally dominated by, um, you know, by people that are, are wielding coercion in this manner the, you know, the system, you know, to use the Turchin references is turned into a wealth pump. And so that system's going to fail. And so a part of the, you know, we've, we've talked about how forming networks and brotherhoods, that's like the ultimate recommendation, but what's that tied to? That's tied to a parallel economy. And the idea of system D or agorism is, you know, the cooperative um, aspect of the market where real things are being produced in the absence of coercion um, you know, in the shadows and then eventually protected by um, independent security services grows to the point that it's larger than the, the captured and parasitized uh, um, economy. We should uh, make trust, uh, trust uh, a currency, actually, you know, which it is. And, uh, and it, but it can only work among brotherhoods. Because uh, otherwise you can't have that currency, right? So I think that and and, that... and in and in secrecy and darkness, I would say too, like Nostra, we we should be developing along the lines now of blockchain, of crypto, of Nostra, in order to in order to make this possible. 
Because without that cloak of darkness, we're just sitting ducks. Yeah, exactly. I I think that's where it all kind of converges to. Um, It's just exactly how that goes down. And, you know, it's going to be complex, but I think that Billionaire Psycho did a good job of outlining um, key fundamentals to focus on that will be useful no matter how this all plays out. Yeah, quantum encryption is, go- is the ultimate magic. Like, like once we get there, we do, we do eclipse this current. This is like a, this is a stutter step between various um, stages of development is the way that I've come to see it. So what we're on the verge of is that next level of magic where um, all of these toys and tools that the coercive, um, our, co- our coercive uh, tyrannical rulers now seem to be in control of can invert in a heartbeat. And once that happens, I think, and I think this is what the author is telling us, he's saying, be ready for it. Be the type of people that are ready to populate that new world, to rush into that zone. Once it opens up, once that portal opens up, right? We need to be the those muscular, sexy, dark ninja warriors that just flood into the gates and say, okay, we're ready for the next level. We're ready for the next iteration, the next, the next level of, of being almost. Uh, and I think it, it, it is no less than that. We really are poised to, to, you know, to, to make a leap to something that's very, very different. And that could be very, very bad, or it could be extremely amazing in a way that we maybe could have dreamt when we were kids, but probably not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so to, to close this out, uh, Daniel had a, a comment about how, you know, does capitalism necessarily progress to this crony capitalism and this current system that we have? And I would again tie that, the answer to that question back to the central uh, point of this article, which is it, it's really the social technology that prevents that progression. It's the uh, strong uh, communities and you know, marriages, relationships, interconnected uh, communities of trust that prevent the progression of that kind of thing. It prevents the progression of uh, strivers from taking over. You know, in an economy where everybody's decentralized and they're individuals and they can move from place to place and you can change jobs every year or two, um, that heavily favors the um, the smooth sociopath that can present as competent and likable uh, with a well-practiced image um, and then, you know, gain that trust, infest the organization, do untold damage that's obvious to everyone below the psychopath and uh, hidden from the people that they're schmoozing and pleasing above the psychopath. And then they move on before anyone can put the pieces together. and that doesn't work in a small community. Uh, that person's credibility is toast after they try that one time. Um, and so I, I, everything that Mark said, 100%, but I think that like the subtext is what do we do to keep it from happening again? And I think it's that forming strong interconnected communities and trying to get back there however we do it it's going to be complicated using modern technology and and adapting to the way it is but if we can 
figure out how to thread that needle, then not only can we build up and, and get through this, maybe not in our lifetimes, maybe in the lifetimes of our children or our children's children, but um, focusing on that community aspect to keep this from inevitably progressing back to the exact current situation that I think we all agree is not sustainable. So with that, thank you all for joining us for another tonic discussion. Um, by all means, if you listen to this before you read the article, uh, go read Billionaire Psycho's article um, and share in the comments. What do you think? Um, we'd love to hear about it and interact there or, of course, on Demo Station. Thank you all for joining us.